Welcome to the Element of Surprise. My name is Chadwick J. Sewitt, and this is the Element of Surprise, the mentally irregular podcast. Uh, find us on uh, podbean.com. Yes, eosmentallyirregular.podbean.com. That's the hosting site. You can also catch us on um, iTunes, all other places, Stitcher, um, Spotify, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you can listen to a podcast, we are there. Um, also check out the Facebook page, www.facebook.com backslash EOS Mentally Irregular. From there, you can join the EOS group, uh, affectionately known as the EOS Army. Um, okay, so, as you guys know, it don't take fortune, it don't take fame, it don't take a credit card to ride this train. Without further ado, let's get right to it. Um, what I'm doing in this episode, just so you know right off the bat, um, I often text message myself just rants rants about things that i feel are i don't know i I can't really explain them i just rant to myself and i send it to myself and then i read them back later and i'm like what the fuck was i thinking um sometimes i'm stoned out of my mind sometimes i'm just really bored uh but these are the rants that i text message to myself so i'm just going to read you these rants and that's what this episode is going to be all right so uh, I wrote my this one to myself on uh, February 17th at uh, 8.10 in the morning. Um, it starts out and it goes like this. I'm just going to read it for you verba- to you verbatim. You know that show Stomp 
with the people that are just stomping around and beating on trash cans, it just sort of hit me that it couldn't be that hard to bang on trash cans and create rhythms with mops and brooms and stuff. And it actually sort of seems like pretty much anyone can do it. I could probably be in stomp if I really wanted. I mean, sometimes when I sit around, I'm just banging on stuff like all the time, you know? Just like tapping out a beat with my spoon or whatever it is. And I personally don't see the big difference between that and what uh, the stomp people are doing. Except for they're doing it on a stage and they're getting paid for it. And they're probably getting paid a ton for doing stuff like that. Um, you know, that on, and a bunch of stuff that honestly I feel like I could probably do in my house with like some cups or a bunch of trash bags or some shit. I don't know. I, I, I think I've got a pretty good sense of rhythm. And people are always telling me that I should take music lessons or some shit. But I don't have time to go and learn a whole instrument because I work uh, way too fucking much for people that just don't fucking appreciate me. Anyway, for Stomp, you probably don't even have to know how to use an instrument. I don't think that any one of those people even knows how to use a single instrument. You couldn't put a, like a trombone in one of their hands and have them like play like a tune. They wouldn't know what they're doing. They just knock around a bucket with some trash can lid shit and that's it. That's Stomp. So... There's even a chance that I could not just be in Stomp, but I could improve upon Stomp. Like, I could put shit in there that's not even on Stomp yet. Like, the other day, I noticed this floorboard was squeaky, so I just started stepping on it, making a little song with the squeaks. And I didn't even think about it that much, and it turned out pretty good. Um, is there a part of Stomp that's done with a floorboard? Because I don't think there is. And if there isn't, that could be an awesome addition. Of course... I probably couldn't do all that, like, acrobatic stuff where they flip around and do twirls, and that stuff probably actually requires some skill that I don't have and my bossy just wouldn't hold up for. But the other stuff I bet I could learn if someone just showed me the choreography. Um, actually, now that I think about it, I'm not totally sure Stomp is still around. I haven't seen a commercial for it in, like, a long time, but it was pretty popular in the 90s, so I bet there's some place that, you know, still does Stomp, like, you know, maybe it's, like, in, like, you know, not Broadway anymore, but, like, maybe on, like, the back alleys? Like a lesser known, like, you know, this used to be popular, so now we're having it on our small stage. Now that I think about it, though, for a little bit, none of this is practical because I could probably get cast in Stomp if I really wanted, but where the fuck would I do Stomp at? This is Delmont. Anyway, and then I just sent, it to, I sent that to myself. That was the whole text message. This next one I sent to myself on Tuesday, March 8th at 7.58 a.m. I'm getting sick of all these fucking movements these days. This is, the, this is the text message. This is how it goes, verbatim. I'm getting sick of all these fucking movements these days. You know, between social media and the TV and people just talking at me, trying to make fucking small talk whenever they're in the store and I'm working, there's a fucking movement for everything. And I, you know, they just want to normalize talking about things like fucking HIV and abortion and shit, and they're acting according of their own conscience, I'm sure, but, you know, maybe it would make society more open and accepting, but I think that I could do it better. I don't really give a shit about their fucking movements. That's what makes me be able to do it better. I'll just destigmatize fucking anything, because I don't have a dog in this race. If society shames people for it, I'll just start doing whatever the hell it takes to make it mainstream. You name it. I'll normalize it. Barbiturates, getting drunk at work, I don't care. I truly do not care. I've got the time. I'll throw everything I've got into destigmatizing 
uh, making out with your cousin or some shit. And then after that, I'll destigmatize some other crazy bullshit. Maybe I'll make something up, like free bleeding. What the fuck is that? I don't know. Is it good for society or bad for society? I don't know. It honestly means as much to me as the shit that I come that uh, I blow out of my nose. I'll destigmatize fucking consenting relationships between men and other fucking older men without even batting a fucking eyelash. Then I'll destigmatize washing your dick in a public fountain. Then I'll destigmatize wearing white after Labor Day. Then I'll be on to the next one. You'll have... You'll be having an earnest national conversation about the merits of cannibalism while I'm off flipping a coin to see whether or not destigmatizing animal sacrifice or single motherhood is coming next. I don't care. I'll do what it takes to change hearts and minds about whatever the fuck hill I'm deciding to die on at that moment. I'll hold a handwritten sign about why I love dogfighting, and then I'll write something on my face that says, Look what... I'm what Castro looks like. I'll amplify whoever's voice. I'll put out a video called My Journey, and then I'll promote the shit out of it with a hashtag that says My Journey so people can share their own journeys. Everyone's going to be sharing and supporting each other's fucking journeys. That's what's, what's going to be happening. It's fucking beautiful. I'll just stigmatize shit you've never heard of. Totally inconsequential shit. I'll turn dipping chicken nuggets into yogurt from a nasty image that you've never imagined until just now... And I'll change that into a poster that's hanging in every McDonald's. Tying your shoe one foot just hovering up in the air instead of propping it up on something? I'll destigmatize that. Why not? I'll destigmatize what the fuck ever. Whatever it is. No matter how big, small, fucked up, or related to bestiality it might be, I guarantee you that when I'm done with it, you'll say out loud, that's normal now. And if by the end of the gut-wrenching campaigns in which I stand naked out in public and dare people to yell insults at me, I don't really give a shit. A lot of that was less coherent than I remember it being whenever I first sent it. Um, but yeah, that was the thing. This next one I sent myself um, two days later. Um, and I'm just going to read it as follows. You know, it's getting to a point where there's a new Batman every time I take a long orange kind of painful piss. What's going on? Why is society forcing us to replace our Batman? Some Batman are coming back, but soon we're going to have stockpiles of retired Batman that we have no use for. I believe we should have, at most, two or three Batmen worldwide, and each Batman should be assigned a region, a Northern Hemisphere Batman and a Southern Hemisphere Batman, and then the third Batman is a Reserve Batman, in case one of the other Batman doesn't feel like being a Batman that day. Maybe they have a tummy ache. I don't know. That is the maximum number of Batman that we should have, period. Not 36 Batman of varying ages all doing whatever Batman thing they want to do all at once. That's chaos. Too many Batman. Listen, I'm also not anti-Batman. In fact, I'm very pro-Batman and believe that we need Batman for our society to function. But we don't need half-assed Batman popping up around every corner when we can have two or three Batman of excellent quality. Here, try this. You could have A, 78 different Batmen in pajamas, wearing domino masks, wearing capes that their moms made them, and using gadgets that they made in their basements, all just running around and growling at each other. Or B, we can have two or three fully functional, government-funded Batmen with access to military-grade gadgets and technology who operate outside of any government laws or sanctions. You ask me? I'm voting B. Those aren't. Those are the Batman that I want. Not sloppy, 
former sparkling vampire Batman, or handsome team of impressive thieves Batman, or remember when I was in Top Gun Batman that now look like your grandmother's sister's lesbian partner. No, we need fully trained elite Batman. And until that, until I get that, I do not want anything else. I do not want food. I do not want water. I do not want a roof over my head. Just quality, regionally placed Batman patrolling my world and keeping it safe with their own brand of dark justice. Okay. I was flipping through the channels the other day when I saw something that disturbed me a great deal. Bless you. That I saw, okay, so I was flipping through the channels the other day when I saw something that disturbed me a great deal. It was a broadcast of a monster truck show filmed in a stadium before thousands of cheering fans. From time to time, the monster trucks would hurtle full speed off of a dirt ramp and come crashing down violently on top of a row of lined up bright yellow school buses, causing the roofs of the buses to cave in on themselves uh, beneath the incredible force of the monster truck. Now, I've never had any beef with monster trucks, and I believe that everyone has the right to a good time. But if the monster trucks at these shows are crushing school buses, and if there are kids inside these school buses, that's not okay with me. I don't care how fun it may be or how many people have paid to watch, children should not be squashed by monster trucks. There's no two ways about it. Just look at it from this perspective. If you're a child, sitting in a school bus, and all of a sudden a roided-up truck with a 1,700-horsepower engine is trying to smash you into the earth, it's going to really scare you. Even if you somehow escape unscathed, you're still going to be traumatized. You'll probably never want to take the bus again. And the school bus is supposed to be like a safe place. Kids have got enough on their plates these days without having to worry about Gravedigger hunting them down on their way to school. Children should not be squashed by monster trucks. Honestly, I don't see why these monster trucks couldn't be crushing, like, ice cream trucks or limousines. And even if you're going to crush school buses, just, just empty them first. This just makes more sense. Of course, these monster truck drivers probably think that they can just do whatever they want, considering that they can just run over anyone who stands up to them. But, as I learned from Tobey Maguire, great with great power comes great responsibility. And if these drivers are going to be tearing around in powerful monster trucks, they must realize that there are consequences to their actions. Even if there aren't any children in the school buses, they can't just continue scaring folks into thinking that there might be. At the very least, they should spray paint no children inside on top of each bus, so that way there's no confusion. And if the commercials are to be believed, monster truck rallies are supposed to be like these high-octane, fun-for-the-whole-family deals, but the last time I checked, children are parts of families. And it's hard to imagine a whole family having fun if part of the family is being crushed inside of a school bus. So let's hold these monster truck companies to their word and just kind of demand the safety of children who, who attend their events. You know, like they should have somebody there that's like, and now we've got Grave Digger. And Grave Digger's going to try to jump 15 buses. But first, we've got... Elaine, the safety director, who's going to make sure there are no children inside these buses, and then Gravedigger will be allowed to go. I don't care if he crushes Elaine, he just makes sure that there's no kids in there. You know, speaking of kids, as a parent, I know 
the utter heartbreak that comes with your child telling you that they have been bullied or that they've encountered a bully. You know, even back in my day, which was a Wednesday, by the way, for your information, uh, bullying was running rampant. It's sick and it's sad and it fills me with rage. Uh, so I'm speaking out on it right here, right now. And I want all of you uh, to listen to my words. School is no place for bullying. Empty warehouses are places for bullying. We need to get bullying out of schools and move it into the abandoned warehouses where it belongs. If two kids have an issue with each other, or with Rachel because my autocorrect on my phone really wants me to fucking type the name Rachel for some reason, then take them to an abandoned warehouse where the only rule is pain. Warehouses, as many of you know, are God's blind spot. So you can let your kids and their bullies get down to business without any fear of retribution from the higher power of your choice. We need programs to ensure that children will not face torment in school, but will instead be subjected to it in rusting labyrinths away from books and desks and under the watchful eyes of dozens of hooting, whooping, blistery-handed adult men. We can even American gladiators the entire fucking thing and build a series of mazes, traps, and puzzles in the warehouses so that both the bullies and their would-be victims have the exact same odds. If it's going to go down, it's going to be fair. Parents and spectators can watch from the sidelines and participate in favor of whoever they support most. Just imagine it like this. The confidence they get when one of the dads tosses down an old table leg or a length of rope with a hammer tied to the end of it. Well, that's it. Game over. It's going to be written all over their faces. On each child, you will see the face of someone for whom the world finally makes sense. Someone fluent in the languages of strength and blood. Finally, allowed to speak in their own voice. It is the face of a misunderstood genius thriving in the nihilistic universe that we built for them inside of a warehouse, and I wouldn't trade that for the world. It's time we sent a message to our bullies, and to our would-be bullied. Schools are schools, and the warehouse is a private hell where your dads are the devil, and anything there goes. That's where bullying belongs, inside warehouses. Also speaking of kids, <clears throat> I decided I'm not going to let my child play wheelchair basketball, because he'd be faking. Every parent as you know, kind of wants to support their kids' dreams. But sometimes we run into these situations where we just, we just can't. We just can't do it. I, it's like your kid comes to you, it's like, I, Mom, Dad, I really want to do this. I feel like I really want to do this. And as much as you want to support them, you're just like, nope, can't do it. I'm sorry. Um, you know, I mean, there's no question in my heart that I want my 10-year-old son to explore every last thing that he's interested in. But I'm not going to let him play wheelchair basketball because he's faking. His legs work. They work perfectly. So I just imagined to myself that if Anakin rolled into the kitchen in a wheelchair, uh, which he would have clearly had to have stolen from someplace, and he was holding an application to like a local youth wheelchair basketball league, and he was like, Dad, I, like, I, I, I got this wheelchair, and you can play wheelchair basketball, and I really want to do this. Well, I, I just know in my heart that I'd have to disappoint him, which no father wants to do. 
he'd be looking me in the eyes and telling me that he wasn't faking and that he's got one of those wheelchair diseases now, so he should be allowed to play wheelchair basketball. And it would just break my heart to be like, no, you can't. Your legs are moving and you're fidgeting right now. It's really cut undercutting your whole pitch right now. I'd like, you know, you're sitting there and you're scratching your leg. I, I don't think that you should be playing wheelchair basketball. Again, I want to support my son's choices. His life is his to lead. But I cannot allow him, an able-bodied young man who has never been medically required to use crutches before, to wheel up and down the court alongside people with actual disabilities. Every time he rolls out of the house in a huff complaining that I'm being a tyrant, I wonder, I'd wonder to myself if I'm being a bad father. But then I would see him scratching his legs while he sits in the chair because his legs are fine and he has feeling in them. And then I'd remind myself that I'm doing the right thing. Refusing to let your child play wheelchair basketball because they're faking does not make you a bad parent. The fact that Anakin could at any moment during a wheelchair basketball game stand up and say, I'm bored or that's not fair and just run out of the gym makes it a sport that he should simply just not have any part of. When we have children, we make a promise to put their needs in front of our own. But that doesn't extend to letting your liar of a son play wheelchair basketball in a wheelchair that he ran off with from a nursing home or some other medical facility. And I want nothing more in my life to see Anakin win championships if that's where his passion truly lies. But for only regular basketball or any other sport that requires at least him to acknowledge that he has two perfectly working legs. That's, that's hard to say out loud as a father, but it's just the right thing to do. Um, because when your kids are faking being paralyzed from the waist down just so they can play wheelchair basketball, it's just, it's not cool. It's not cool. Okay, so the other day, I got to thinking about some things, and it just occurred to me, like, you know, like, you get, you get up and you, you gotta do things around the house, like, it's just, you know, your average everyday chores, you know, vacuuming, laundry, things like that. I started thinking about how much time that eats up. And why don't we just domesticate baboons to do it for us? I mean, seriously, why not? Baboons are smart. They're capable animals. And I'm sure with a little bit of conditioning, we could have them living peacefully among human beings as servants. They're as loyal as dogs. And they're way more skillful. And they just do look adorable when you dress them up in little costumes. Remember how we used to send monkeys to space? Well, if they can hold their own up there, I don't think baboons would have a problem helping us here on Earth doing, like, chores or, like, the laundry for us. They could pretty much do whatever we asked, and guess what? They would be good at it. Also, here's a fun fact. Baboons produce milk, so you'd never be out of milk again. Now... I understand that whenever you're listening to this, as a listener, (laughs) maybe not my listeners, but as a listener, you're probably thinking, hey, wait, Chad, are baboons not violent and jealous, and will they not violently attack our pets and children? Why would we want them running loose in our society? But the truth is that those concerns of yours are unwarranted, because we would be domesticating the baboons first meaning that scientists would take all of the problem traits out of their DNA, and computers are so good now that the whole domestication process would only take a couple of months. 
Imagine, just imagine this. Baboons working on our assembly lines. Baboons looking after the elderly for us. Baboons fetching your mail and washing your car. Baboons serving ice cream and helping you find your seat at the theater. Baboons snuggling up in your lap. Baboons conducting traffic. Baboons rubbing your back after a long, hard, tiresome day. We could even train them for warfare, freezing, freeing our troops to stay safe at home with their families while we send baboons overseas to fight our wars for us. I mean, that's looking down the line, like somewhere down in the future a little bit, but, you know, the possibilities of what I'm saying are endless. So, to see baboons and their swollen little red asses walking side by side with mankind, helping us out in our workplaces and bringing us comfort at home, well, I honestly, I cannot think of any greater joy. Um, I've thought it through, and there are literally, literally no downsides to domesticating baboons. None. These are useful, wonderful animals, and I think that it's time we recognize them as such. Uh, we'd have to act quickly, though, so that way the government wouldn't try to ruin our fun, but after that it would just be smooth sailing. So, has anybody else ever thought about this? Because this bothers me. It bothers me that the moon doesn't have a birthday. Why shouldn't, it, why shouldn't the moon have a birthday? It's literally been around longer than us, than all of mankind. Unless it hasn't, I don't know, I'm only 39 years old. I do know that it's at least been around for that long, and there are people who are older than me who sometimes talk about the moon, and then they also sometimes talk about how they were children. So if I connect the dots, I can kind of assume that the moon was there too. Anyway, I think that the moon needs its own birthday. You know, something we can celebrate. If you think about all the silly things that we commemorate throughout the rest of the year, it kind of seems like inexcusable that the moon, our one and only moon, should go about its orbit without being recognized. I mean, doesn't it seem like it would just be a nice thing to do? Like, it would be something that we should be doing? Like, okay, put yourself in the moon's shoes. Everybody, I, everybody within the sound of my voice, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that you're the moon. And you've just been faithfully circling our planet for billions of years, maybe. At least 39. I don't know. Wouldn't it make sense that after all that you know, circling, asking nothing in return. Wouldn't it make sense for people just to be grateful? I mean, you literally control the fucking, like, the weather. Like, you control the oceans and the tide and shit like that. But you're not doing it because, like, you're lording it over them. You just want to, like, you know, it's just a nice thing to do. So you're like, oh, shit, I don't want these people to be covered with floods. So I'm just gonna, you know, rotate slowly around their planet. Don't you think maybe, after all that... It would be nice if, wouldn't it make you smile if people were just a little bit grateful that you're doing that for them? I mean, granted, to my knowledge, the moon doesn't have feelings or even a consciousness that we're aware of, but I don't think as, uh, as a species that should deter us. I mean, we celebrate a day for pancakes and then a separate, completely separate day for waffles, and they're basically the same thing. So why doesn't the moon get a fucking birthday? You know what? Fuck it. I'm giving the moon a birthday. The moon is now getting a birthday. From now on, the moon's birthday is October 19th, and we are now required to sing to it. Every year on October 19th, you are now required to sing to the moon. Thank you, Chad. Oh, you're very welcome, listeners uh, and world.
Here's a question for you. Why isn't the Statue of Liberty fully animatronic yet? Ever since I was a kid and first saw Ghostbusters 2, I've thought that the Statue of Liberty should be something that moves around instead of just standing there in the middle of the fucking ocean staring at nothing. What kind of world do we want to hand down to our future generations? Don't you want your children to live in a world with a singing, dancing Statue of Liberty? I do. Don't you want people to look across the Hudson River in New York and see a gigantic green woman waking up from her slumber every morning and singing the national anthem while she sways back and forth? I mean, she doesn't need to sing the national anthem. She could sing anything. I won't care. But the Statue of Liberty should be fully animatronic, and it should do, amongst whatever else it's programmed to do, it should at least do these things. Once a day, it should look at the Empire State Building and just give a nod. The um, Statue of Liberty should also sing New York, New York at the top of every hour, the Frank Sinatra version. Um, or at least once a day. I think, I think at the top of the hour would be fun. It might get people in, who live in New York City, might raise their spirits a little bit. I heard that people in New York, you know, to quote the mayor in Ghostbusters 2, uh, people in New York, it's their God-given right to be miserable to each other. And I think maybe it would raise their spirits a little bit if maybe at the top of every hour, you know, New York, New York, you know, just... Start spreading the news. But it would be the Statue of Liberty singing it, not me. Um, I think that the Statue of Liberty should give the middle finger to birds that take shits on her. Um, I think the Statue of Liberty should be able to do a fun dance once in a while. I think that it should be able to switch torch its torch from uh, one hand to the other if it so chooses. Or it could hold two torches... At, and then bang them together to make a loud noise. I think that the Statue of Liberty should pump its fist in the air when its local New York sports teams win. Um, and that it should also play a banjo. You know, these are just some of the things that I think the Statue of Liberty should do. If I, if I was making it an animatronic, that's what I would make it do. I mean, it, this is America. If we put our minds to it, there's really no reason that on the 4th of July, the Statue of Liberty shouldn't be able to spin her head around 360 degrees and just shoot fucking fireworks out of her eyes. It's not much to ask. It's been sitting there for hundreds of years. It does nothing. It just sits there, it puts its arm up in the air, and it stares out into the fucking ocean at nothing. Fucking animatronic, the goddamn thing. Let the fucking bitch do something. She needs to be doing something. And yeah, well, you know, they could put the Captain America shield on her. Guess what? No. How about we don't? How about we animatronic the fucking thing and just let it do what it wants to do? Matter of fact, how about this? How about we put the Skynet AI into the Statue of Liberty and just let it loose? We just make the, just turn the Statue of Liberty into a, how tall is the Statue of Liberty? Like, like 300 feet? How about we just turn it into a 300 foot tall fucking Terminator and just unleash it on society? That's what I want. That would be entertaining. Okay, so apparently I also sent myself a text message on uh, how to deliver a villainous monologue, and I've given myself uh, steps, and I'm going to read those to you now. Oh, I'm sorry, I wrote it not as a, I didn't write it as steps now that I'm actually reading it. This was sent to me on, when the fuck did I send this? When the fuck did I text this to myself? Holy shit. December 2nd of 2021. Okay. 
Okie dokie. Okay. So I texted myself this verbatim. Well, you've done it. You finally trapped your arch nemesis. The one that's been foiling your dastardly deeds for as long as your deeds have been dastardly. This is the culmination of months, maybe years of your work. Your very hard work. And as such, you should be entitled to gloat. Just a little bit. Maybe your plan hasn't come completely to fruition. Oh, okay, I remember why I did this. I was I couldn't sleep in the middle of the night, and I put on a James Bond movie, and then I'm like, why do they always talk at James Bond? That's how he escapes. So then I just started insulting the fucking villains in James Bond movies, saying, like, maybe, you know, a genius like you has got to reveal all of the inner workings of your diabolical scheme out loud, face-to-face -face with your nemesis, before you can finish doing what you're doing. First things first, and I think this should go without saying, you don't kill the hero right away. This is the person who's been a real fly in the ointment to you. They've killed countless henchmen, infiltrated your defenses, taken down your security network, and found your secret hideout. And you're not and even the first one they've done this to. So it's probably 100% okay that you just want to, like, tie them to a small wooden chair and leave them basically unattended. Because you're an evil genius. So, presumably, you've got a minion who's good with tying knots. Now, once your guest is completely bound with one single length of rope to the small wooden chair, uh, you might be thinking, right, now's the time to kill him. Well, if that's the case, then it's honestly a wonder you made it this far. This is actually a perfect spot to begin ramping up tension because there's nothing as a diabolical genius and a world-changing supervillain that you should know that killing your enemies outright doesn't, doesn't help anything. You want that tension to be there. Maybe you've knocked them out. Okay, that's fine. So what do you do? You're, you're waiting around. You're waiting for them to, to come to. You're waiting for them to wake up again. Um, so maybe you start uh, planning your grand entrance. Maybe um, you hide behind a door for several minutes so that way you can pop out. Or maybe you find like a nice big chair and sit in front of them. And you turn the back of the chair towards them, so that when they wake up, all they see is the back of the, of, the, of the chair. And then you slowly turn the chair around to face them. That's what you've got to do. You don't want to kill them. They've single-handedly taken down dozens of other villains like you, but you don't want to kill them right out. You want to sit in a chair, make sure the mood lighting is right, and then turn around to face them so that way you can um, tell them about your dastardly scheme. You know, I mean, it gives them time to assess their situation, formulate an escape plan, and possibly find a way to stop you. But think about how annoyed they'll be by the time you do finally begin talking. Now, let's slow down there. Before you go in guns blazing, you might want to take a step back, clear your head. Use this time to gather your thoughts and reflect on your demeanor. Because at this moment, delivery is going to be everything. If you don't believe what you're saying, how are you going to expect the Sean Connery or Roger Moore sitting across from you to believe that your schemes are valid. You can't go in there half-cocked, so let's just jot down some bullet points. You're taking this long to have Adam, would I have him at your mercy, so a few more moments wouldn't hurt. Use these last moments uh, before showtime to put yourself in the proper headspace. You want to be confident, like overtly confident, like way too confident. Do you have like a big hat or like a loud blazer or some sort of animal um, that maybe the animal has an eye patch and you could be petting the animal? 
that would be awesome. Or, you know, um, you, you, you basically just want your physical appearance to show this person that, you're, that you mean business. You know, you're, and almost as important of, as your outward appearance is the voice you're going to go with. Like, so you want to practice the, your big speech. Like, you know, you don't want to turn around and be like, yeah, so, hey, I, um, I captured you now, but, you know, I, I could have killed you, but I thought maybe we'd have a talk first. You know, we'd sit down, we'd discuss what I'm going to do, and then I'll kill you. No, that's not going to intimidate them at all. You want to sit there and plan your big speech. You know, you want to plan your voice. Perhaps you're going to speak to them like this. Perhaps you're going to intimidate them and mock the foolish way they got themselves caught and are now bound to a small wooden chair with a single small length of rope tied in an easily removable knot. That You got to what? You see what I'm doing there? The second one was way more threatening. So get your ass in the zone is what I'm saying. You know, before you go out there, maybe do a few do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, dos, or drink some chamomile tea or chew on some licorice root or uh, I don't know, whatever. You know, strong eye contact is going to be very important. Think Anthony Hopkins in fucking Silence of the Lambs. He barely blinks in that movie. That's what you want to do. I don't care how fucking itchy and red your eyes are getting. You stay, make direct eye contact. You do not blink. Now, keep this in mind. At some point, your hostage will eventually say something to you. And it's probably going to be something you don't like. Which will make you want to flip out. And, like, raise your voice or throw a glass at them or, you know, knock over a table. Before that happens, you are going to want at least half of the monologue to be spoken with a cool head. Or else it no, no longer intimidates them. It's, no, it's also not professional. So once you've hit your, once you're like in your monologue and you hit your stride, feel free to just let your emotions take a front seat because you're in control. You've won and you've probably won forever. You've got this person tied down to a small wooden chair with a single length of rope. Think about it. You know, you have to, you're in charge now and you have to show you're in charge. Maybe by strolling over to an adjacent minibar that you have just sitting there in an empty room and then you offer offer your captive a drink you know just because your deeds are nefarious doesn't mean that you can't offer common courtesy and you know before you even think about it i'm telling you this right now do not poison that drink dead men don't get to hear cool speeches so you know think about that now at the end after you've said your piece this is the point where the whole shebang, where you want to open it up to questions and comments. You know, they'll probably repeat a very watered-down version of your plan back at you. And that's when it's important to correct them on literally everything they get wrong. You've worked hard on this. You're not going to let some wiener give you, you know, some Cliff Notes version of, a, of the worldwide conspiracy that you've literally manufactured over decades. Don't let that happen. You set the record straight. Keep in mind that soon... The information provided will be useless to them because you'll have made it. You'll have made them too dead to use it. They're tied to a chair, a small wooden chair with a single length of rope. And, at, and right now, they're a mouse and you're the cat. But every game eventually has to end. So this is about the point when you stop playing around and begin making actual threats. It's okay to draw a little bit 
from you know experience to ratchet up the tension. Let's say hypothetically you gobbled up a census taker one time. Again, Anthony Hopkins, as we all do once or thrice in our lives. A good tactic would be to admit that detail to your victim before revealing that you're going to do it again. you got to have them thinking, I surely hope he doesn't do that to me, because the truth is that you might. You know, you can't sugarcoat anything is what I'm saying. If you're a diabolical villain, let, 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 me, let me put it to you this way. If you're a diabolical villain and you're not, like, you know, giving yourself tension headaches every 25 minutes, if your anxiety levels aren't peaked through the fucking roof, you're doing it wrong. You're not the diabolical villain that should be, you, that's how you're going to get beaten. Once again, I'm going to say, you now have the hero at your mercy. They are tied to a small wooden chair with a single length of rope. Game over, motherfuckers. Game over. You take your time. You tell them whatever you want to tell them. This has been the element of surprise. Before I let you go, check out a fireside chat hosted by Ryan McCormick over on Libsyn. Check out... The Mixos Comic Book Podcast over on Podomatic. Check out Case in Point on Audio Boom. And as usual, without further ado, cue the fucking bear music. Killer, thriller tonight. 
start to dance in their masquerade. Oh, there's no escaping the jaws of the alien this time. Open oh, wide, it's the end of your life. Thriller, killer